Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It's Wednesday, June 8th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. A recent trial for a cancer drug yielded some amazing results for those that participated. Complete remission for every patient. It was a very small trial with only 18 patients with rectal cancer. So caution is encouraged as much work needs to be done to replicate these results. But there has been no other study in which a treatment completely removed cancer from every patient. Gina Collada, medical reporter at the New York Times, joins us for what we know about this latest study. Next, we have seen what has been going on in the housing market and with sky-high rents, but all these increases are also hitting one of the country's most affordable housing options, mobile homes. Abba Batarai, economics correspondent at the Washington Post, joins us for how high demand, low inventory, and corporate owners are impacting it all. Finally, vaccine experts advising the FDA have endorsed a new COVID vaccine made by Novavax, saying that the shot's benefits outweigh any risks associated with it. The vaccine will still need full approval before coming on the market, but it will be the first one available using a more traditional protein-based technology. Liz Esley White, reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for what to know about its effectiveness and concerns. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in just as it did in these 14 patients where they didn't need radiation and they didn't need surgery, we may be able to to achieve that as well in patients with stomach cancer where surgery may not be needed if they have the same type of, uh, you know, really remarkable response. Joining us now is Gina Collada, medical reporter at the New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Gina. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about a pretty exciting story. There was a cancer trial, a very small trial, just 18 cancer patients that had rectal cancer, but they were trying out this new drug, and every single one of them who took that drug had their cancer go away. Obviously, they used various scans, physical exams, endoscopies, MRI scans. In all of the cases, it went away completely, and everybody's very, very excited about what this means and the possibility. Obviously, as I mentioned, it's a very small study. But Gina, what do we know so far about this? Well, first of all, and now these were too graphic for the paper to publish. In fact, my editor wouldn't even look at them. But when you see the photographs in the New England Journal of Medicine, which published this paper, oh my gosh, I had no idea what a locally advanced rectal tumor looked like. Right. They had the before, and it was like it was shocking. And then they had the after, and there's nothing there. It was like wait a minute, it's like nothing. It looked perfectly fine, pink and normal. I don't know what normal is, but there was no big tumor there. The tumors are really amazing looking. Yeah. 
So um, what was really kind of incredible about this whole thing was what they, people told me is they could not think of another time when a cancer treatment was totally successful in every successive patient. Now, it's only 18, but what I kept hearing is with cancer, things are sort of never black and white, never all or none. They're gray. Like some people do okay and some do great, some don't respond at all. Every one of these patients responded 100%. So that alone was just kind of like, how on earth could that have happened? And obviously it did. So what does it mean? Well, they have to do, they have to replicate it. They have to do more patients in that cancer center, Memorial Sloan Kettering, and they have to do more patients in other cancer centers to make sure it would work. And also community hospitals, because a lot of people don't go to major centers. But, you know, the New England Journal doesn't normally publish and make a big deal about, have an editorial with it too, make a big deal about 18 patients, but they did. And the other interesting thing was, it was even hard to do this study because the normal treatment is chemotherapy, radiation, and life-altering surgery. They cut out so much you end up with a colostomy bag for the rest of your life. And these patients managed to avoid it all. But the surgery that you use for locally and cancer and radiation and chemotherapy for locally advanced rectal cancer is curative. So when the researchers went to various companies that have drugs like the one that was used. There are a bunch of Me Too drugs. And they said, we want to do this study. Would you sponsor it? They all said no, because they thought, do we want to give patients our drug and have them get worse and not be able to be cured? No. Yeah. So they found a small a small company called Tesoro that agreed to do it. And then they were acquired by GlaxoSmithKline to continue with the study. But it was kind of, you know, it took a lot of courage for the researchers and the patients to go ahead with that. Definitely. I mean, on the patient side, right, you mentioned all the uh, grueling treatments they would have to go through, chemotherapy and radiation. And for this study, you'd have to catch them early enough where they hadn't gone through that process yet. Uh, And as you mentioned, you know, some of that stuff is curative. So you got to give it that chance. You got to try it out. And so they had to get them, uh, as you mentioned, with locally advanced rectal cancer. That means it hadn't advanced to other organs just yet. Right. So that was the important part of it. And uh, and again, uh, you know, you know, some of the costs for these things are very high. I think um, the way they did this was they were given the medication every three weeks for six months, eleven thousand mm-hmm. yeah. dollars per doses. But how does the 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 drug itself work? Like, what does it do to the cancer cells that allows allows it to go away so quickly? These are cancer cells that have a lot of mutations on them. And this is a drug Then cancer cells usually sort of, um, they have like a shield practically on them. They just repel the immune system. And these drugs are called checkpoint inhibitors. I think they call it like a checkpoint, stopping the immune system from seeing and attacking a cancer. And if you give somebody a checkpoint inhibitor, it sort of peels away that shield and the immune system can get at the cancer. And the advantage is if there's lots of different mutations, there's lots of ways for the white blood cells of the immune system to start attacking the cancer. So these drugs have been successful in, in other kinds of cancers as well. They work in some colorectal cancers. It's not clear, you know, these, but they never tried them like that early on. But in some people with more advanced colorectal cancers, meaning colon mainly, they would get some success. They work in some lung cancers. There's a bunch of cancers where these drugs really do seem to make a big difference for some patients. The difference though is that they never gave it to somebody before they'd had anything else. Right. So these researchers said, you know, 
now that we've done this, maybe we should try really early with other cancers too. Maybe the immune system can't do that much once the cancer started spreading and going to other organs. Gina Collada, medical reporter at the New York Times, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's very expensive to move a mobile home. A lot of times they're too old and they don't meet certain, you know, city and state codes to be transported from one place to another. And so they're not really mobile. Oftentimes, right. if you get priced out, you have to leave your life savings there. Joining us now is Abba Batarai, economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Abba. Thanks, Oscar, for having me. Well, let's talk about an interesting aspect to what's going on with housing and and affordable housing and everything right now. For a long time, mobile homes was kind of this alternative for a lot of people that were being priced out of just renting wherever they live, owning a home. But as everything else has been doing recently, uh, prices have been increasing. And so now the prices for the mobile homes themselves are going up and specifically the lots when you have to pay rent on the lot at these mobile home parks are going up. And a lot of people are getting really worried about what's going on. A lot of them are on fixed incomes when they go to live in some of these mobile home parks. And as the lots, the rent lots go up, uh, they're just feeling like they're almost, uh, you know, they're worried they can be left homeless uh, pretty soon. So Abba, help us walk through some of this. What are we seeing? So for so long now, we've been hearing of skyrocketing rents. We've been hearing of soaring home prices. And for a lot of mobile home residents, they're really getting the brunt of both of those things. It's all kind of trickling down as people get priced out of homes and apartments. There's increased demand for mobile homes. And at the same time, a lot of the costs associated with those lot rents are going up for a number of reasons. But the thing that makes this really precarious for mobile home owners is that most of them own the actual homes that they live in but they have to rent the land underneath. And so a lot of times they will have invested all of their life savings into this house, into this mobile home. But if they can't pay that rent, which in some cases is doubling or tripling, then they have to leave. And despite, you know, what we think of as a mobile home as being mobile, that's not really the case. It's very expensive to move a mobile home. A lot of times they're too old and they don't meet certain, you know, city and state codes to be transported from one place to another. And so they're not really mobile. Oftentimes, if you get priced out, you have to leave your life savings there. This whole aspect of things has definitely been a blind spot for me. And it's true. I mean, it's a lot of them, a lot of people put all their money they can into buying the mobile home itself, right? But you're still got to pay rent. You know, when you buy a, a house or you're just paying rent, it's kind of all wrapped up into one. But this is almost like dual costs that you have to account for. And you mentioned, right, if you wanted to move your mobile home to another park, wherever it is, that could cost upwards of $15,000. And people don't have that money when they want to move, just move somewhere else, you know, for a cheaper uh, uh, land rent. Exactly. And what I'm hearing from a lot of residents is that even if they could afford the cost of moving it, there just aren't spaces available. I mean, lot rents are going up everywhere because land is becoming more expensive. There's, you know, higher labor costs, higher costs for everything, utilities. And at the same time, there's a bunch of private equity firms and institutional investors that are scooping up mobile home parks because they've proven to be great investments, sadly, because you can keep hiking the rent. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that, because that's another big part. As uh, these private equity firms do buy these places, one of the first things they usually do is raise the rent because you know a lot of times they are improving infrastructure there at the place whatever it could be offering new amenities but again that's also one of the first things that they find they can do pretty easily and demand is so high 
you know, it's not really uh, anything people can do about it. This is a continuation of a trend we've been seeing for the last decade or so where private equity firms swoop in. You know, a lot of times the people who own the mobile home parks in the past were maybe mom and pop owners. They're older or, you know, their children have inherited it and they don't want to have anything to do with it. So they sell it to a bigger company and those companies will usually come in and make some investments, spruce up the place. But with that comes skyrocketing rent. And a lot of times there's the sense that mobile home park residents are a captive audience. You can keep hiking the rent forever and they really have no choice. They either have to leave their home behind, in which case you can resell it to the next tenant, or they have to settle up and pay that extra money. And so how much are these park rents going up? They're doubling or tripling. You spoke to a number of uh, mobile home uh, residents, one in particular, Virginia Rubio. So she lives in a trailer park in Forks, Washington. Her rent was usually about 350 maybe. It's going up to $1,000. And she also lives uh, lives on a fixed income. For her, the math doesn't even work anymore. Exactly. You know, so I talked to about a dozen people around the country, and the vast majority of them said their rents were going up maybe 5, 10, 15, 20, 25%. So pretty big numbers, but nothing egregious. But there were a few who said rents were doubling or tripling, which really puts them in a tough position. And what makes this particularly tricky is that there isn't a lot of data around this. You know, you can get census data on mobile home sales, but the lot rent is really kind of spotty and it's not well tracked. So we don't have a good sense of how much people are paying and how much their rents are going up. What about on the legislative side? Are lawmakers trying to get involved, trying to help at least maybe limit how much the rents can go up? Anything like that happening? Yeah, you know, it sort of depends. It's very patchy. It's city by city, county by county. Some places are beginning to include mobile home parks in their rent control, you know, ordinances and things like that. Others are doing it so that residents themselves must have a say, you know, before a new owner comes in, they, they might even give the residents a first chance at buying the mobile home park if it's up for sale. So we're starting to see different types of legislation, but nobody has actually, you know, we're not seeing sort of a consensus among cities or states yet. Like I said, it's just a a really interesting side thing to all of the housing problems that we have going on. And as I mentioned, these are some of the most affordable housing options, but just that they're getting battered now, too. So we'll keep an eye out to see if anything changes on this front. Abba Batarai, economics correspondent at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing. And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Anything we can do to get people more comfortable to be able to accept these potentially life-saving medical products is something that we feel um, we uh, are compelled to do. Joining us now is Liz Esley White, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Liz. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about some interesting developments on the COVID front. We could be getting another vaccine on the market. This one's by Novavax. There's a few little differences on this one, but what we just saw was uh, vaccine experts advising the FDA, basically endorsing this, saying that the benefits of this new vaccine outweigh some of the risks that have been associated with it so far. So tell us uh, about what uh, was going on with the FDA, and then we'll get into some details about this particular vaccine. As I mentioned, it's a little different from the ones that we have so far right now. Yeah, that's right. The FDA has an outside advisory group that looks at every you know big vaccine like this. And the advisors today said uh, vote of 21 to zero with one abstention that they thought the vaccine safety profile looked good and they thought the effectiveness, the FDA review said that the vaccine was 90% effective against COVID-19. So now there will be, if uh, the FDA itself and CDC sign off, another option on the table for people looking to get vaccinated. Now, this uh, vaccine has also been in development for quite some time, but there was a lot of manufacturing related delays, things like that, that kind of kept it off the table a little bit longer. But this shot specifically, you know, the two main vaccines that we're using right now are the one by Pfizer and the one by Moderna. They're mRNA vaccines. They have relatively newer technology on this side of things. And this is a more traditional protein based vaccine technology. Tell us a little bit about that. That's right. The platform that this vaccine uses is the same type that is used by the shingles vaccine or hepatitis B vaccine. Um, And it's been around since around the 1970s. And so, you know, there's the thought that there are some folks out there who are more hesitant to get the relatively new mRNA technology who might be, um, you know, have been waiting around for Novavax to come onto the scene. It works in a a different way. Basically, instead of provoking the body to make its own coronavirus spike protein version, which then stimulates the immune system, the protein-based vaccine sends a bit like an own its own version of a coronavirus spike protein to the body, which stimulates the immune response. Yeah, and that's uh, the hope, right? I guess there's a lot of people that could be allergic to some of the other vaccines, too, and this could be an option for them, too. Obviously, it's really just a, to provide more options on, on the on the table for all of this. We have about 67% of the population that's fully vaccinated, which is pretty good. A lot of other people have already been infected with it, too, so they have some of that natural immunity and those natural antibodies. So on that side of things, we're doing pretty good. But you're right, the big question would be, Will this convince others that have been hesitant to take it so far? Now, there were some cases of heart inflammation, some of the things that we heard associated with other vaccines that were also uh, mixed in with this Novavax uh, one. So what did we hear on that front? Right. The FDA pointed to six what it called concerning cases of myocarditis or pericarditis 
cases that they found there was some reason to suggest that there may be some causality there with the vaccine since they were all, you know, within a short period of time after vaccination and they were in young men and that kind of thing. So the FDA kind of highlighted that to advisors in its briefing documents and said, you know, we didn't see any of these signals with the mRNA vaccines ahead of time. We saw them after authorization when they were out on the market and a ton of people were using them. So they talked about that today and they kind of said, well, you know, it's possible that as we see more people take Novavax, the rates will be pretty much the same as with the mRNA vaccines. And then also just as scientists, they really wanted to see more information on why this risk was coming about. Is it something about the spike protein, about COVID itself? Or is there something to do with the platforms of the vaccines? That's still an unknown. What's important, I think, for people who just tune in occasionally to know it's, it's still really rare to have the myocarditis event happen following vaccination. And most of the cases have totally resolved and like everyone recovered. Yeah. So. I mean, six cases, I mean, out of, it's got to be out of the thousands, right? Out of their, uh, from their clinical trials. So yeah, as you mentioned, uh, very yeah, little yeah. cases, but that's an interesting notion. You know, who knows if it's the spike protein that's causing this heart inflammation, as we know throughout going through the pandemic, you know, a lot of people, it affects everybody in, in different ways, but inflammation is one of those key things that really throws people's bodies for a loop. So that'd be interesting to see if they ever do find what that correlation could be. And, you know, just to end on this, right, uh, some of the people that you did speak to for this, you know, they did say, still say, hey, you know, I'm glad this new one is coming up. Uh, like the quote from the, the person you spoke to, they said, you know, this is the first version of this vaccine, but to me, this is kind of the second version of this traditional technology. We've had some other stuff on the market now. Maybe I could be ready. So the hope is that something new coming on board could spur some other people to still get uh, vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've gotten even more emails from readers saying the same thing since my story came out this morning. So it will be interesting. There's not really good data on how many of those people are out there, but right. we'll see. Liz Esley White, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.